John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This is God's word. All good. No, so I have a little story to start this devotion for you all. So this young woman was sitting in front of a fire. So she was on a camping trip with her family. She was on spring break from college. But as she looked into those flames, she couldn't help but look back at a memory that just happened the week before. So here she was sitting in her college philosophy seminar when her professor made this comment. He said, Christianity is not what it actually is. It's, it's not real. And he went on to quote something from Friedrich Nietzsche where he said Christianity is the biggest mistake of humanity. It, he goes on this whole long tirade about how Christianity is just wrong. It's devolving. It's outdated. You know how this goes. But he ended the class that day telling the students they need to write a two-page essay answering this question. What are the philosophical fallacies that constitute the foundation of the Christian belief? A lot of mumbo-jumbo, essentially saying, write a two-page essay proving that Christianity is wrong. Now this young woman, she's a straight-A student. She is really, really smart. She has a great connection, a good working relationship with her professor. She wants to keep her intellectual respect, and yet she knows if she writes the paper that her professor wants her to write, she'd have to deny her faith. But she also knows if she does write what she actually believes, she could risk her whole GPA, she could risk her relationship with her friends. All of this is entwined. Well, there she is in the library, sitting there. Her stomach is churning, her heart of faith is pounding, and she starts typing this paper, and she ends up typing exactly what her professor wanted her to say. She got her A, but now she's on her camping trip, and all she can smell is that odor of regret and denial. She didn't stand up for Jesus, and the guilt was eating her away. Now, you and I may be removed from sitting in a college philosophy class, and yet, I'm sure you can think of moments in your life where the opportunity was there to stand firm for your faith, to declare, yes, I'm with Jesus, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, but we let the moment pass by or we try to change the subject. It's something we have to wrestle with, but it's not something that ends in defeat. And so tonight, instead of breathing in the odor of denial, We're going to breathe in the smell of restoration. And to really smell that odor, we need to start with Peter. So Peter here is sitting in the courtyard as Jesus is being tried in the court of the high priest. Now keep in mind with Peter, it's it's pretty courageous that he's even followed Jesus to this point. I mean, we heard in the Passion history, everybody had deserted Jesus. But here Peter is, 
following at a distance, but still following, wanting to see what's going to happen to this man he loves so dearly, his teacher. But he also wanted to blend in. So he's warming himself by the fire, hoping that nobody will draw any sort of attention to him, trying just to blend when his identity is blown. And a young woman looks at him and says, this man was with him. So Peter has a choice here, right? He can stand firm for his faith and says, yeah, that's right. I was with him. I'm still with him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. But instead, he goes on to say, woman, I don't know him. See, the thing about Peter here is this word in Greek for know, it's not just Peter denying that he personally knew Jesus. He's saying that he doesn't know a single fact about Jesus. Peter's trying to distance himself, trying to feign ignorance, hoping that eventually this moment will just pass and he can get back to just seeing what's going to happen to Jesus and not have attention drawn to him. It's so hard for us to imagine that, right? Not just to deny knowing Jesus, but to deny any sort of knowledge whatsoever about Jesus. How could Peter do that? But maybe if you're like me, you can think of a time when you've done that too. For me, it was in high school. I worked with someone during my summer job days working at a corn farm, and we would get into random discussions. And he asked me one time, okay, you're a Lutheran. So if you're a Lutheran, you believe that you literally eat Jesus' body and blood in the sacrament. That just seems really strange. It seems really weird. How does that happen? And instead of courageously standing up to him and saying, yes, I do believe that, because that's exactly what the Bible says. It's this amazing miracle that happens where Jesus' body and blood is in with and under the bread and the wine, and we have forgiveness through this. Instead of talking about that, I tried to let the moment go by, tried to change the topic, tried to feign ignorance. Instead of standing firm for what is true, the grace we have in Jesus and that incredible sacrament, See, it would be bad enough if that's where Peter stopped, but he didn't. Again, there he is. He's trying to warm himself. He moves location slightly in the courtyard again, trying to keep the attention off of him and the spotlight away. But somebody else notices him and says, you also are one of them. So again, Peter has this chance to do an about face, to come through and say, okay, yes, I really am. I know what I said before, but I really am one of Jesus' disciples. But instead. He denies his own identity. He says, man, I am not. So see the progression here. He denies knowing anything about Jesus. Now he denies his identity in Jesus. Peter doesn't want to be known as one of them. He doesn't want to be known as one of those Christians. And I just wonder if it dawned on him when Jesus said before, anyone who denies me before people, I will deny before my Father in heaven. You and I have been there too, right? Now maybe our denial isn't quite like Peter's, but maybe we have a conversation that's approaching us with a family member or a friend, and we know it's going to be a hard conversation to have, but we know we need to speak the truth in love because that's who we are. We're redeemed, baptized children of God, and so we do speak the truth that Jesus has called us to speak. But we're in that conversation and we just can't, get the words out. We don't want people to look at us in a funny way. We don't want to damage a relationship. We, are, we get so nervous about external things and we miss out on the opportunity the Lord has given, just like he gave to Peter, to proudly say who we are in Christ and what Christ means to us. 
Well, now with Peter, it's, it's more than just smoke that's in the air. Now spiritual danger is right there. An hour passes, and probably at this point, Peter's thinking, okay, I'm finally done with this danger, but somebody else comes up to him and says this, certainly this fellow is with him, for he's a Galilean. I don't know about you, especially as a kid, whenever Holy Week would come, I would just be rooting for Peter that he'd finally say the right thing, even though you know exactly what he's going to say next. He goes on to say, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus had been all over Galilee. In fact, if you were in Galilee, you knew who Jesus was. He was Galilee's famous son. Peter, by his accent, was very clearly from Galilee, just like I'm very clearly from the Midwest. You can tell by how we speak. So now Peter goes from denying knowing anything about Jesus, denying his identity in Jesus, and now he's going so far to deny his own culture and the geography where he's come from. And then you know how the story plays out. The rooster crows. Jesus is moved through the courtyard and Peter locks eyes with him. And we're going to talk about that look in a minute and what Jesus was communicating with Peter. But for now, look at how Peter responds. He weeps bitterly. He runs away. Denial was all he could experience. See, but that's not where Peter's story ended. We read from John chapter 21, you're in my struggle with denial too. It doesn't end in that moment either. A few days later, after Jesus had died on the cross, after he had risen from the dead, we find another fire, except this one is a beach fire that Jesus himself has stoked. And Peter's out there, he's fishing, most likely because he figured Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with somebody like him anymore. He had let Jesus down what would Jesus want to have to do with me? And so he's doing his old profession, his fishing business, back to what he knows and maybe he could clear his mind that way. But then he sees Jesus on the beach and Jesus is preparing fish and Peter, if you know the story, gets out of the boat and he just runs, so excited to see his Savior. But then you get to this conversation where Jesus pulls Peter aside and he has this one-on-one -on -one moment with him that is so personal you see how Jesus lines this whole thing up to remind Peter of where he sinned, but also to show Peter that each one of those denials was forgiven. Jesus knew this happened by a fire. Here he is stoking a fire. He knew that Peter denied him three times. And so what does Jesus ask Peter, again, three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus is so intentional about this. He wants Peter to know that he's been forgiven. He's been restored for each and every one of those denials. And he makes it very clear. And Jesus has done the same thing with you and me too. Whether it's denial or if it's another sin that you really are struggling with, you can go to the scriptures and find that same level of personal, intimate, intentional forgiveness from Jesus. One of those ways is the Lord's Supper. Where he gives us his own body and blood and says, look, I love you. You are my dear child. Look, I have won your forgiveness. Look, this is my blood that paid for your forgiveness. I have not given up on you. I have restored you and I've forgiven you. But Jesus doesn't stop there with Peter. He doesn't stop there for you and me either. He gives us his forgiveness. Then he goes the next step. He says to Peter, follow me. 
Forget about that sin. I've paid for it. Follow me. Let me lead you to people who too need to hear that or smell that smell of restoration. Peter, I want you to be an ambassador for me to carry my joy to others. And that's that same honor he's given to you and me too. We're no longer deniers, but we're reliers. We rely on Jesus and so we want others to rely on him too. And so Jesus puts people in your life and mine just like he did with Peter that he wants us to connect with so that they too can know what being restored looks like, that they too can know what forgiveness is all about. See, denial doesn't define you. Jesus does. And there are people walking around in your life right now who need to hear that message from you. But even more so, you have a fire in your spirit given to you through faith that wants nothing more than to burn with hope and passion for what Jesus has called you and me to do. And he doesn't leave us to do that on our own, no. Just like with Peter, he prepares a meal for us. He gives us exactly what we need to make it through life and we know one day we'll get to be with him forever. Forget about denial. And remember your Savior. Throughout every trial you face, he's overcome it and he's with you. Amen. And him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be all glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.